Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to tell you about this podcast. It's called The DK Project, but it's really The Darren Show. The DK Project is a radio show, but without the radio. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Let's go! Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The DK Project. Zooming in today... We've got David Bigelow, Mr. Jaws. He is working on a project to bring back Jaws. They are redoing some stuff, uh, 45th anniversary coming up. It's kind of a big deal. And uh, we sit down and talk with them a little bit about what's going on and what kind of things they're up to. Uh, It's a really interesting podcast because Jaws is a major, major uh, cult phenomenon where people love that show, man. It's a big deal. So we uh, Zoomed for a while and got the lowdown on what's been happening, and uh, this is actually somewhat of a two-parter. We've got another Jaws episode coming right after this with the set designer for Jaws, which is also a very interesting uh, podcast. But uh, for right now, let's see what David Bigelow has to say. Welcome, fans. How are you doing today, David? Uh, Darren, thanks again for having me on the show. It's really exciting to be able to talk with your listeners about what we're up to. Um so my name is David Bigelow, as, as uh, Darren has said, and I am basically working on a project um, that involves Jaws, everybody's favorite summer film. Love it or hate it, be afraid of it, or just enjoy the film. Um, I think we all acknowledge that Jaws is one of these timeless classics that every year in the summertime, there's no ignoring the fact that people talk about Jaws and sure, go see Jaws. And it, yeah, it's, it, it, it doesn't go away. There's no going away of Jaws. I mean, it's incredible after 45 years to see a film hold on Man. so tenaciously. I can't believe it's that long. 45 years? Yeah. So now you were in the movie. Years. They probably don't recognize Correct. you because you've aged a skosh. Not a lot. A little. Just a little. Just a bit. I, I, I got a better haircut. I was, a, I was a kid in 1904 on Martha's Vineyard. I had just moved there in 73. And in 1974, the Personal Studios showed up and stormed Martha's Vineyard and began working on Jaws. So was it just an and, open casting call, or how did you get in? Well, it was uh, Jaws was really a collaboration between Hollywood and local townspeople of Martha's Vineyard. And a lot of the casting calls that were done were for some speaking roles, which usually when you cast locally and in a location like, you know, if you go to boston or new york or any of these things you cast extras you 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 cast uh people in the speaking roles through uh, formal auditions and so forth right you cast extras you go to the martha's vineyard the people who were fishermen you go to the people who were beachgoers you go to townspeople and so they work with a lot of people who are basically just playing their jobs for example uh robert nevin played the medical examiner and he was the actual doctor in Edgartown at the time so <laughs> how cool uh, is that they, they yeah they used a real doctor to play a doctor go go figure how does that work well, martha's <laughs> vineyard is not that big is it what's the actual like size i've i haven't been to martha's vineyard i've been to cape cod but i never made it uh out to the island what how big that's not very big is it um, the, the island is about 126 square miles, but that's including a lot of area that is not habitable. It's all forest and so forth. There's about four towns, per se, that have people in them, like, you know, congregated and living in them. Uh, Oak Bluffs, where I grew up, is one of the most populated towns. 
and Edgartown, which is where a lot of the film was shot. And a lot of people do, uh, you know, you can find plenty of Peepertown. Um, so, it, but at the time, Jaws was coming around when the vineyard was not the famous place it is today. We didn't have presidents coming. We didn't have Clinton yet or Obama yet or um, any of the famous people, Spike Lee, showing up on Martha's Vineyard. It was kind of a little bit of a secret in the Northeast and uh, wasn't really popular yet. And you were born there and grew up there and it was just normal place for you. It wasn't, it wasn't obviously what it is now, but did, 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 them, did they, yeah. when they filmed Jaws there, did that start to put it on the map? I mean, I, I got to think that, because uh, obviously everything that I know about Martha's Vineyard, it's quite the place to be but uh but you were there when it before it was uh before it was the uh hoity-toity location it is now or is it even i guess that's just what i think i don't i don't tell us tell us what its current status is well currently martha's Vineyard is exactly saying it is it's a hoity-toity you know destination vacation location that uh you know people from all over the world will come to very often new yorkers new jerseyers connecticut people they come pretty frequently. Uh, back in the day, the only thing that Martha's Vineyard was known for when I was growing up there before just was the Ted Kennedy uh, Dyke Bridge incident Ooh. when the bridge of the car went off the bridge. Was that Chappaqua and that young or something? Woman, yeah, Chappaquiddick. So uh, uh, Chappaquiddick, I believe, happened in... So the Chappaquiddick thing happened in what, like 70-something? 72 or 73 uh, yeah, Ted Kennedy's car went off the Dyke Bridge in Chappaquiddick. And so the world became more and more aware of Martha's Vineyard. Um, it was a, a, a resort destination for people like um, Walter Cronkite, Dan Rather. Uh, there seemed to be a large gathering of people who were somewhat famous. Uh, Carly Simon still lives there to this day. She was living there back in the uh, the hey heyday now. of her career. Are you still living um, there? So, Are you still there? I'm in Boston now. I'm in Boston, and uh, but an hour and fifteen minute drive, Harry, and I'm down there pretty consistently these days. Is there is there is there an airport on Martha's Vineyard? There is an airport on the vineyard. I've never flown to the island. I've always Terry. Um, maybe someday I'll I'll experience what it's like to fly there. Because there's a ferry but out frankly, of Cape Cod, there. isn't there? There's a sorry. There's a what? Is there a ferry off of uh, Cape Cod? How do you get there? Yeah, so you can drive to Falmouth, um, where Woods Hole is, and that's a 45-minute ferry ride to the island. Um, so pretty convenient, and also it's kind of a nice little ride compared to flying in. I, I would, excuse me, I would think. Um, I do a great deal of, of taking the ferry, and it's kind of like that first 45-minute ferry ride. You're already on the island. It's kind of the magic carpet that gets you there. Ah, nice. Nice. And you... Uh... And so you you were an extra on the sh- on the on the film and uh, and then did you pursue acting or what did you do after that? I mean, you were little, but your parents had to kind of get a taste of it and go, "Hey, this might be." Cool, but we live on an island, so what do you do? Yeah, it, there, there wasn't much of an aspiration for acting for me. I enjoyed the opportunity to be in the film. I enjoy the fact that um, Lee Fierro, who plays Mrs. Kintner, the one who slaps Roy Scheider's character in that scene on the dock after the boy is killed on the yellow raft at the beach, that was my drama teacher. Oh, wow. And uh, at, in elementary school. So that's how I got to know about the film, which she told us some kids to come down to the beach and be in the scene where she was what she was starring in. 
I had no idea that that scene involved a, a young 12 year old boy being, you know, eaten alive on the beach right in front of me. <laughs> and so it was other than that, you know, it was, it was, and it was very cold. It was early. It was late April, early May. I can't remember exactly the date, but the water was not warm yet in on Martha's vineyard. The water doesn't really start to warm up in the North Atlantic until probably mid June, you know, and, uh, this was, this was early in the mm. season. So, um, we were paid, you know, I think it was $50 a day to be extras running in and out of the water. And a lot of people felt they really earned it by the end of that day. Uh, what do they pay? Like the local, like your teacher and, and the, uh, the medic guy, did they pay them like normal money? They paid them. So a speaking role, uh, a much more money, uh, for doing, if you're going to be actually speaking dialogue, extras get paid a certain amount just to show up in the background of the shots. Oh. So, um, we all got the low money and Lee got the much better money. Uh, and then guys like Robert Shaw and Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfus all got the really good money. Yeah. Right. Right. Did you get to meet any of those guys? I mean, as, as a kid, uh, it's probably not as big a I, deal. I, I saw them on the beach. Of course, uh, Roy Scheider was there for his, you know, he had that famous dolly zoom shot where it's like right after the boy is eaten, you get to go shot, uh, the dolly zoom. Okay, great. So when they were so when they were filming the movie um, and they came to the island, how long were they there? Like, how long does this process take? So the process was supposed to take 55 days. Universal Pictures scheduled 55 days on Martha's Vineyard to shoot Jaws. The reality is that they went for 159 days. Mm. So they were there basically about six months getting the whole film shot. Um, you know, there was a variety of reasons for that. A lot of people believe that the shark not working was the main reason that the film went as long as it did. The truth is, is that the shark was just one of the issues that the filmmakers were dealing with. The weather, the ocean, the locals, the, um, the unpredictability, basically, of filmmaking in a, uh, a non-controlled situation, such as on an island where people live. Um, was basically, uh, you know, the the be all end all of being able to have a schedule held to. So they were shooting that film, and the, the, they were shooting the film, and they shot everything on the land they could before all the tourism started up for the summer. When so they that, shot as much. When as they does could. that usually start? Like June. Yeah. So Memorial Day weekend is typically the opening uh, oh. of the season. Okay. Um, but usually people start to show up. Excuse me. In mass on the vineyard. Mid-June, you know, July 4th weekend is obviously a huge time. Sure. And so from July until the end, until Labor Day is pretty much the prime season. So the land shooting for Jaws took place over many weeks until they basically were forced onto the ocean and they tried to get everything in the shot for the land scenes uh, for a number of reasons, including the shark wasn't working, which everybody is familiar with that, you know, <laughs> that was one of these things they couldn't get around. So... But that gave them time to work on the shark. Robert, uh, Maddie, and Roy Arbogast, and Cal Accord, and all these others that were special effects people had all this time while they were shooting the land sequences to get the sharks into shape and be ready for camera. When they got to the ocean for the last half of that film, they spent 20 weeks on the ocean shooting that last hour. And it was not forgiving. And wow. they spent a lot of time getting the crap kicked out of them off the East <laughs> Beach of Chappaquiddick. Um, finally they had done, they had taken enough abuse and everybody was seasick and, you know, filling the water with chum over the side of the boat. 
and they finally went to Cow Bay. And in Cow Bay, they spent uh, some time shooting some orca sequences. It was a little bit more protected, not in the open ocean, but in a bay. And then finally, they decided that they would shoot the the combat sequence with the shark between Roy Scheider's character, Chief Brody, and the shark inside Katama Bay, which is completely surrounded by land on all sides. And you, you might yeah so they they basically i, th- I think they they sort of they were battle weary from being on the boat that long and said let's get inside a nice calm bay and shoot these last sequences that were the most technically challenging also wow so it was really a challenge so- throughout the whole process huh the whole thing was huh well that's what it takes to get uh high tech stuff going on back in the 70s huh i mean really. yeah it, it, they they were they were basically pioneers in creating this animatronic shark that um, you know didn't work, but only because they were told you know that Jaws was rushed. Jaws was forced by the studios into production because a the book was doing really well. It was on the top ten. You know, it was on the bestseller list right. for the New York Times. The studio wanted to get while the iron was hot. So let's get this movie done and in the can before the book is leaving Which the makes top sense. ten list. It makes sense. Absolutely. I, um, you know, I got to revisit Jaws. I haven't watched that thing in a long time, but I, um, so, so fast forward now 45 years. Uh, what have you been doing in the middle? You're, you're not working in, in, in the film world. You went and got a, uh, uh, a real job and went to college and did the whole bit. And now you're circling back to Jaws. Well, I did get a real job, but I am working in uh, media. So I got a job in uh, television and cinema. I've worked on films. I've worked on concert tours, doing video. Nice. I've worked on commercials and advertising. So Jaws did influence me. It was the beginning of an influence that all this time, you know, 25 years after starting my career in college in broadcasting and, and media, I'm still in it today. And so I'm a, I'm actually right now a online editor and colorist at WGBH in Boston, which is a, one of the PBS stations. And what our main clients uh, are Frontline, the uh, documentary news program, oh. and Nova, the science series, and American Experience. Uh, other clients, we you know, my role is basically to take any finished documentary, make it look its best, and get it ready for air. And so um, that's something I've, I've got a lot of experience in the post-production area. But, you know, leading up to this, I've got a lot of time behind the camera. I've written scripts. I've worked with talent. Uh, so I do have a good amount of a breadth of knowledge about what it takes to be in media production. Um, so I, I definitely, you know, I was influenced by the film and all, all the other films, and it made me choose a career that's aligned with this. Right. So 45 years later... I am now in a position to do something with my memories and what I basically have looked at as one of the, the, the pinnacle experiences that started me on this path in the first place. And I decided about two and a half years ago, I was going to engage uh, forward on a project called Making the Monster. And Making the Monster is a six episode docudrama series, sort of like uh, Apollo 13 for the making of Jaws, you know. Instead of Tom Hanks and uh, and Kevin Bacon playing the roles of the crew of the uh, the Apollo craft, I've got people playing Joe Alves and Roy Arbogast and Bob Maddie, the guys who made the shark, actors portraying them. Nice. And so the idea is that 
you know, people talked about this being a feature film. Maybe you could do this as a movie. And I said, sure. But when you look at the six month production of Jaws and all the stories that went into what it took to create that film, you'd lose a lot of information in a feature film of two hours in length. Yeah, that's Uh, probably true. An episodic series, meanwhile, set over six months of production can really get you into knowing the characters, knowing the struggles they went through and have enough time to deal with most of the problems and understand what the challenges on Jaws were, which I believe in the larger consciousness in our culture, people only know the tip of the iceberg of the problems in that film. There were so many problems that don't <laughs> even get mentioned in the documentaries Pandora's about the of Jaws. Right. It, it really was, you know, the fact that we got a movie made out of the production of Jaws was a miracle. The fact that we got a blockbuster film that people consider to be one of their favorites 45 years later is more than a miracle in my mind. I think that there was an incredible lightning in a bottle moment that occurred with the making of Jaws. And, um, and some of the things even Spielberg admits, had he had things working the way he wanted and showed more of the shark, he might've made a worse film. You know, he created that mystique around the shark, that foreboding sense of fear of the unknown, what you can't see. Right. And that's really creative to think about. Don't see the shark. And then Alien comes out five years or four years later in 79, basically uses the same technique. They could have showed that alien all the time. But, you know, Ridley Scott says, Jaws set the mold here. We basically have a film where we need to create tension and not seeing the aggressor is the best way to do that. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, you, uh, you know, now that we're 45 years down the road, we can really, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but uh, he, Spielberg might might know what he's doing. You know what I mean? Like, he, he uh, it's easy to say now, but uh, yeah, that is very true because a lot of times that can be even more uh, daunting to, to, you know, the unknown is, is, uh, is, uh, wow. So, so the making of the monster is, is going to be a six part series. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And and, yes. and when is um, that? When are you dropping the first one? Uh, we'd love to drop it as soon as we're ready to. the The problem is that COVID nineteen oh. has basically waylaid all of our plans to be in production. Um, very few people are shooting right now and moving forward on getting their projects developed and turned over to networks for airing. Um, it's been a real problem for so many people, and uh, we are just doing our best to bide our time to keep moving the project forward. We have a lot of development that we're doing. And for people who aren't familiar in the industry, pre-production development is basically everything that it takes to get ready for camera, the script writing, the casting, the location securing, the rental of the gear, um, you know, uh, renting, uh, editing space when you're going to be done with the production and actually get into editing. So for a series, I mean, our budgeted projections are pretty high. We're in the $45 million range Ooh. for shooting six hours of television. Um, and uh, and we, we have relationships with people who are capable of doing this, but we can't release that information right now. The, gotcha. um, so it's a, it, it's a very large beast. Um, you know, Joe Alves and other people from the production are completely on board. They have given their releases. They've been interviewed for this project. Um, I've spent uh, probably a good, uh, you know, six, seven weeks of time in basically getting all these interviews for research purposes, but we'll be using these interviews in our show, kind of like Band of Brothers did open their show with bookends of 
knew, knowing the actual survivors of, uh, right, right. of the, the company yeah. and, uh, and seeing them for real. And so we want to start every episode of Making the Monster with some actual Jaws crew members talking about their experiences. And then we now go into the dramatic recreations with the actors playing their roles. And how's the so, uh, how's the response been from those folks? I know uh, you mentioned a couple there on board and signed the releases, but uh, you know, have you uh, heard from Richard at all, or any of the uh, any of the actors or anything that uh, had you know big roles in it that they might uh, do a little uh, pop in? Well, Richard's the only surviving actor oh, from really? the making of Jaws. Yeah, uh-huh. Roy Scheider passed away. Um, uh, I believe in 2006 or so or seven, um, Robert Shaw passed within five years of the end of Jaws. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he had a heart attack and died and uh, was left behind an incredible career. Um, and a son actually, who is his age today, the way the, the age that Robert was when he was in Jaws and his son, Ian Shaw is now acting in a play called the shark is broken, which once the covid lets him allow allows him back in uh to doing a stage play is basically set aboard the orca and based on his father's journals that wow. he kept while he was shooting so jaws. did he write that then yes he wrote that wow yeah. that's uh, interesting so, so the covid's yeah. got everything screwed up but there's a pretty serious uh underground following of the jaws huh that's crazy yeah it's um like i said when we started the interview there's a lot of people who just keep this film in the current culture and the mindset of even with covid and this virus the memes that are going around the internet about how the shark is the virus and the mayor of amity is the country trying to reopen and get the economy (laughs) going again um you know the parallels are drawn every time and the film just turned 45 on june 20th and people, you know, they enjoy it by watching the film again. They have uh, screenings in different places. There's uh, this summer, Jaws and Jurassic Park were released in drive-in theaters to oh. go up against each other. And, uh, and, and Jurassic Park did better. Yeah. But Jaws did pretty well, too. And they were the top grossing films this summer. Wow. Two films from Spielberg that have been both out more than 20 years. So. Well, it was Jurassic Park was long after wasn't it when did Jurassic Park come out Jurassic Park was 1993 yeah so you probably had a little bit better uh technology and and whatnot to uh, go into that one but that's interesting that they did that uh and that was this summer here that they were or was that last summer that was this summer so um drive-in theaters have had a resurgence because of COVID yeah they've you know you can't go into a movie house but you can pack into a car if you want and sit you know 20 feet from other cars and so forth so i know some comedians have been doing drive-in theaters uh doing tours of drive-in theaters and setting up a stage in front of the the screen and and doing their show which yeah you know i don't know how they can afford to pay these comedians but whatever everybody's everybody's got a way so that's interesting i i think uh i can't remember the last time i saw jaws but you've got um now now you're working well let's talk about this app i just came across this thing so you've got an app out called the making of the monster and these are locations from the movie yeah so making the monster our group has produced something called the ultimate jaws location guide and the Ultimate Jaws Location Guide is basically a 3D uh, Google Earth 3D map that you can use to look at any of the locations that were used on the making of Jaws. 
Jaws 2, and Jaws the Revenge. So we've included a, basically a, as comprehensive a list as we can of all the locations that were found on Martha's Vineyard and in Los Angeles that were used on the production of Jaws or these other sequels. And we provided it free to the world because we simply want people to have a great tool to go to Martha's Vineyard if they want, go and find the locations. Where was Brody's police station? Where was the tiger shark hung up? Where is the Brody house? You know, the, the house where she, the Mrs. Brody says, I want my cup back after right. Brody takes off to go see the first. So all these places, we have 80 plus locations on our location guide. Wow. With photography, photography that Jim Beller, Jim Beller is a, uh, the number one Jaws memorabilia collector in the United States. And basically he provided photos nobody's ever seen before of the making of Jaws. And they're part of this location guide. So we've been very um, doing very well. We released it this spring in April and it's gotten around the web quite, quite quickly. And particularly during COVID and everybody's lockdown, yeah. people were just surfing the heck out of that thing. Looking really? at all the so locations. it's had a great response, huh? Very good response. Oh, yes. that's so cool. And it's a free resource, which I think people just, uh, you know, we, we are Jaws fans and we love to be talk to other Jaws fans. And so this was a gift that we had uh, to the world. We could have probably sold access, but we chose that we just wanted to provide this to people. And uh, if you go to the vineyard, you can pull it up on your phone and then see where you are and see where you are in relationship to the other locations and just navigate over to them. Are there a lot of them still there the way they were then? I suppose there's been a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, growth and, and changes that have happened over the last 40 years that... Uh, some of the locations may be uh, not what you thought they were. Interestingly enough, Martha's Vineyard doesn't change that much. Oh, and really? It's it's a it's a it's a traditional New England uh, town that really appreciates and values its quaintness as a community. So, frankly, if you go to to Martha's Vineyard, you will see the locations very very similarly to the way they appear in the film. Really. Um, it's really incredible to see it's 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 not completely frozen in time of 1974 but it's very close wow. and some things have changed some businesses have gotten more modern um but luckily it's not an urban environment it's like i said this tiny little uh community uh that really kind of values its white picket fences and its gray shingled uh, shacks and uh, even if you go today to Menemsha, where quint shack was the uh the where the orca was docked before they take off the three characters brody quint and uh and uh hooper take off for the the fight with the shark um you'll see a basically a harbor that looks almost identical to what it looked like back in 1974 the only thing that isn't there is quint shack they had to tear <laughs> that down yeah um but the rest of it is there and it looks you know there's a, there's more modern boats pulled in there but it's still you know it's still quint's uh, uh harbor and you'll see exactly that when you go. How often are you going out there? Every weekend. Really? <laughs> yes. For, yeah. for work well, especially, or just for, for well, getaway? Um, I go there now because of our other project, The Return of the Orca. Oh, and yes. uh, we're basically, um, you know, it's a full-time job on the weekends for me to shepherd this project into existence of taking this vessel that we purchased, the Lydia, and converting her into the Orca 3. 
Um, so is the Lydia because, uh, uh, just the same style of boat, or is it an actual boat from the movie? Yeah, the uh, it's a style of boat that is called a uh, Nova Scotia lobster boat. Okay, and these are these are work boats basically that are made, and they weren't made particularly in terms of like a make and model. Uh, the Nova Scotia lobster boats tend to be a style that are made basically on the shores of northeastern Massachusetts uh, and uh, all the way up to um, Nova Scotia, Maine, New Hampshire, those coastlines. And they're made to be work boats. So nobody really created a boat that was like, this is the model that you get to make the orca. They found a boat that was in this Nova Scotia lobster boat style and they converted it. So we had to find a boat that was as similar to the Orca and what it started as, what was called the Warlock. And our challenge is find a boat that's close enough that we can then can convert into the Orca 3. Um, the reason it's the Orca 3 is because the Orca 1 was the actual sailing vessel that you see in the movie that is underway and moving at 15 knots chasing the shark. The Orca 2 was a fiberglass duplicate of that Orca built just for sinking so they could sink it and raise it hydraulically with with uh, barrels in the in the hull so that you know when they film that scene when Scheider is on the sinking orca and the shark is trying to kill him and he finally you know is up on top of the crow's nest they needed that boat to sink and raise and sink and raise to reset and take those shots over and over <laughs> so That's our cool. boat is the orca three it will All be right. the only orca since the two and we haven't had any orcas in over almost 25 years because the other two have been destroyed. So there are no other orcas on the planet. As far as we know, anybody, you know, has made any. Right. I know that there are some projects out there that people are, are want to do this. But um, so far, we're some of the only ones that actually have dedicated plans and a, a, an actual delivery date of this fall to have that boat in the water. So, so, so um, you have a schematic from the movie on what was in that boat or, or are you just going off of, you know, looking at the film and saying, all right, so we should do this and we should do that. Or are there actual like blueprints to the boat to explain what was done to it? Great question. We have everything we need in terms of blueprints that were made by Joe Alves back in 1974. We have his original blueprints that he handed off to Chris Crawford, uh, who will be working on this boat. And we have 3D models that uh, basically people have made incredible reproduction models of the orca uh, that are smaller in scale, obviously, might be, you know, four feet long, but are so detailed that we can basically work over them as a team and figure out exactly what we need to do to make this boat match the original. So uh, lots of intel, plenty of intel to be able to do these plans from. Wow, and and you've got a uh, you've got a GoFundMe page going to try and help uh, raise some funds so that you can accomplish this mission, right? Tell us tell us about that. Well, the um, the original uh, making the monster did uh, get some seed money through uh, friends and family of mine that knew that I was in, involved in making this project come to life, and uh, there was some money raised, which was great. Um, wasn't a widespread campaign in any way. The project Return of the Orca is going to be a much larger campaign. And so um, as of this announcement, if you go to returnoftheorca.com, you can become a member of our uh, team on Indiegogo and be provided the opportunity to what we call come aboard. 
And what we're doing is that we are building the boat and we are looking at both private investment that we've already secured some relationships in, but we also are giving away some great perks, some gifts for people who are willing to donate to the production of the Orca and the team effort that we're going to have working on the boat. Uh, we're going to make a documentary film about the production so that people can get a Blu-ray of that. Uh, we have incredible t-shirts, posters, um, uh, lots of really incredible gifts, uh, access to our video production diary that will be kept on a daily basis while we're working on the boat. So um, there'll be all sorts of things. Uh, we even are talking about including hats uh, with our logo that was designed by Eric Hollander. So um, yeah, it's a very large campaign. One thing that I decided that we would do and, and talk to this group is we have partnered with a group called The Daily Jaws, which is one of the largest online Jaws fan publications on the internet today. And they have a veritable reach of over 3 million followers. Wow. Who they'll be putting the word out with as well. So we are gonna do a dedicated media campaign appearing on your show is part of that campaign, sure. talking to others, getting the word out. Um, the, the purpose of this boat, though, the important thing is to know is we don't just want to make a boat for our television show. We've got a whole nother reason to be doing this. We partnered with Beneath the Waves. It's a research nonprofit uh, in marine uh, conservation that Wendy Benchley is on the chair of, and we're going to provide a research platform for people to operate from Beneath the Waves on the Orca 3 and learn more about the shark problem we have on the Cape and Islands because we have a large shark problem now in this area. Right. Life has imitated art. Um, and education is the only tool that people have in this area to understand how to be safe about uh, interacting with the, the, the coast and sharks. Um, there's no getting rid of the seals. There's hundreds of thousands of seals all over uh, these islands and, and uh, the surrounding area that are attracting the sharks. Climate change has warmed up the waters enough that the sharks now feel really comfortable being here uh, to eat their seals. Sure. And, um, and we, we, we have had a fatality. We had the first attack in 80 years, two years ago, that killed someone off of Wellfleet Beach on Cape Cod. Really? So it's a real problem, and it's going to get worse um, because there's no – the trend doesn't show any kind of change towards the sharks leaving anytime soon, if anything – they're growing in number. So we want the Orca 3 to be a platform for learning about that and for allowing there to be much more understanding and harmony between people and sharks living in this area. Um, I think that's the only thing we can do is tell people what the real situation is. Right. And hopefully that will be enough to get, you know, some safety and maybe a little bit of just good understanding about what the marine environment is all about. Are they attributing a lot of that uh, additional sharks to like a global warming situation? Yeah, it's a combination of the warming. The uh, seals have been protected. Better. We can't hunt the seals and, and reduce their numbers and call them. So we are basically stuck with a situation where the seals are in large numbers and breeding. Um, one of the most, one of the biggest breeding grounds of seals in the United States is right off the coast of Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> there are more seals born there than anywhere else in the country. Mm. So yes, we have a shark problem and it's not going away because mm. we're only filling the pot with more food for the sharks. Yeah, right, and, right. Um, so it's, and I was on the vineyard this past weekend. I'm, you might see me looking pretty tan here. And I was there and I, there were five, six seals that we saw on the beach that we were at. And the moment you see seals in the water, you do not go in. 
Really? You do not risk going into. That's where sharks are after seals. Oh man! And it's if like you, chum, bring yeah. them in. Wow! So, um, all right. I've never been that... afraid to go in the water. There, I am now afraid to go in the water. On oh, you'll be fine. You just got to outswim them. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> see, there it is. There's a fear. You can't see anything, so that's what scares you. Is you don't know what's under there. Except the True. big fat seal bait. What about so so they're going to use the the orca three for for research and to uh, try and get a thumb on this uh, shark problem. What what else are you going to do with it? You're gonna you're gonna do uh, some kind of a little tour thing or something? Well, that's um, yeah. Our uh, we definitely want to be able to offer tours to people who just want to enjoy being on the orca again. When you go to Martha's Vineyard, and there are a lot of Jaws fans who simply go to the vineyard to enjoy seeing the locations, hopefully using our ultimate Jaws location guide, that you want to have a, a pretty full experience of getting your Jaws fix in. So we think the Orca 3 would be one of these really great offerings if people want to go see the locations and then have a sunset tour on the Orca 3 and go out and maybe see some sharks, <laughs> who knows? Um I can't think of any better way to sort of immerse yourself in the world of Jaws than to be on the boat from the movie in shark-infested waters, you know. And we're obviously not going to be lowering anybody into any cages uh, to take any great whites on. But, um, you know, I think that, that it would be a great thing. The truth is that the second part of our mission that's more important to us is being able to provide uh, free rides to kids in certain charities on the vineyard um, I grew up on the vineyard. I have a great deep connection to the island, and I want to be able to give back in a way I think that would be really um, efficacious to people. And one of those camps named Camp Jabberwocky, it's a disabled kids camp uh, with a variety of different disabilities. We want to be able to offer free trips for those kids to oh, be able to go great. out and enjoy the ocean. Oh, right um, and uh, yeah, we it, it just it's one of these things. Again, the mission of the boat should not be strictly for commerce. We want it to be a tool for enriching people's lives and creating greater awareness about things. And so those two, you know, basic tenets of our, of our mission for the Orca three are the most, the highest priority, but it needs to be a self-sustaining vessel. And so a self-sustaining vessel needs to have income. Right. And so we will be offering the tours and we will be, you know, and, and Martha's Vineyard has a relatively short season. We've basically got, we're new England, you know, we're yeah. just below Maine. So, you know, Memorial Day to Labor Day is pretty much our season and maybe a little bit into October because it does stay warm here for a while after, you know, Labor Day. You got to make it um, fast. Oof, that's not a long time. No, no. Um, but we feel like, you know, we can basically set up an operation that the boat, the boat goes into winterization in the winter yeah. and gets tucked away um, and uh, comes back out in the spring to do her do her job and continue with the research, continue with the the kids' tours for Camp Jabberwocky and the tours for people who want to enjoy the Orca. Um, we see it being possible to self-sustain, um, but the initial campaign to get the boat in the water, to have it properly built, um, have all the fixings of what make it Orca, um, that's one thing we want to do as a community. Um, and we have, again, a great team, Joe Alves, Chris Crawford, made the original Orca. They're going to be making this one. <laughs> Excuse me. That's so cool. Just That's yeah, so a cool. lot of really, we're 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 treating it the way it should be treated, and we're going to keep it on Martha's Vineyard Amity, as everybody knows mm -hmm. who knows Jaws, and we want it to be another fixture on the island um, that can be something people feel good about having there. 
Are you, is there anything I haven't been out there? Is there anything out there now? Like if you were, you know, you know, whatever, a twenty-something who knows nothing about Jaws, and you show up to Martha's Vineyard, is there any signage or any like anything currently about Jaws there? Like, uh, well, anywhere? Yeah, there, there's um, uh, lots of shops will be selling Jaws T-shirts. Um, there's a place called Jaws Bridge. They have T-shirts called I Jumped Off Jaws Bridge because people jump off the bridge into the water. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, there is a, I believe you will see Amity, the name of the fictional town from the film, okay. used in certain signage. Um, you know, this, uh, this 45th anniversary we just had, there was supposed to be a huge museum exhibit of Jaws uh, uh, objects and stories from people who worked on the film, but COVID stopped that. And so what would have been a really great, uh, anniversary for the film on the Island and a big celebration was basically postponed until the 50th anniversary, five years from now. So, um, but yes, if you go to the vineyard, you will see some jaws things and you can certainly hire a number of tour companies to take you on jaws tours. Um, (laughs) or you yeah, or you can rent a car and use our location guide and be able to take yourself around to those. Um, but we always recommend a tour only because the you know driving on the vineyard for the first time is uh, it, it, it it's tight roads, not a lot of parking if you're there in the high season. Um, so definitely take a tour, but you can still use your location guide. Yeah, uh, to be able to do that. Wow, so, fascinating um, stuff. That that's very interesting. I'm gonna have to make my way out there. It's on the list, but it's. It's not. Uh, it's not been uh, too high on the list as of late. So, what's the uh, what's the timeline on all this stuff uh, to get the orca going? And and obviously the production on the uh, docu series is is at a halt because of the COVID. Um, but the boat, you can get into that now, can't you? That doesn't that doesn't care if you have the virus or not, does it? No. And then the crew size for building the boat is relatively small. So we do have the opportunity here with proper precautions to right. engage building the boat. Our capital campaign starts on the 18th, um, which just happened, and it will go on for just over a month. So we plan to be soliciting and spreading the word uh, about the project, uh, looking to secure our goal of funding. And then uh, in August, uh, mid-August, we're gonna have that boat sitting in a barn, ready to be worked on by a crew that will hopefully have it in the water in six to eight weeks. So we're looking at basically a October uh, launch of the boat and be able to uh, have a, you know, a public event where we basically christen the boat and get it in the water. People can wa- wit- witness its maiden voyage. And uh, we're working on a couple special guests that Ooh. we might be able to have be at the, uh, the island for that boat launch. People you'll recognize well, from the film. That's awesome. So that's something that we're hoping to be able to do as well. But our main concern right now is garnering support from the community, uh, the Jaws community around the world, make it possible to have this boat in the water, um, fulfill the mission that we want in both research and charity and providing Jaws fans a really great experience for themselves. And once we get there, then we'll take on phase two and figure out what to do next. But uh, we're really excited. I think it's going to be a great thing for people to be a part of. Um, I know that, uh, you know, Wendy Benchley, who we've uh, brought on board as a, a consultant on the project and supports it, feels like it is the way Jaws should evolve from a movie about killing sharks to a movie about understanding or a, a project about understanding yeah, sharks full circle. and doing some good in the world. 
I yeah. like it. And, well, and- well, tell us again uh, how people can find information about what you got going on and and uh, the direction to that uh, deal, so they can go donate some money or or get involved. What uh, give us those uh, give us those addresses again, please. Certainly. So if you go to www.returnoftheorca.com, all one word, lowercase, uh, that'll take you to our landing page. And that will give you a link to the Indiegogo uh, campaign where you can be learn about the project, see all the, uh, the, the information we have to share with you, what it is that you will get for your donation to the project. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it's pretty self-explanatory. We don't want to make it complicated. We do have uh, a, a Facebook accounts for Return to the Orca, Twitter, um, uh, Instagram. Uh, all of these different social media sites will all be part of the, a combined, you know, comprehensive campaign. Um, so if you just basically, if you Google search Return to the Orca by the time you hear this, hopefully you'll just be coming across everything. But definitely shoot on over to returntotheorca.com and you'll get plugged right in. Sure. And we'll have a link to all that on our site. and. And on the podcast site, so uh, it'll definitely be uh, something to check out. Well, I'm excited to see what you do with it. It uh, sounds like a fun, exciting project, and uh, we're gonna have to check in on you uh, down the road to see just how it's going. Maybe, maybe, maybe unveil the big announcement of who uh, who's coming to town for the uh, for the launch of the big Orca Three. That's super cool. Well, David, we can't thank you enough for all the time, man. We uh, we will definitely steer everybody we can towards uh, your project, and uh, best of luck to you, man. It sounds like a fun little adventure, and uh, hopefully uh, someday when I do get there, the boat will be there, and I can use my app. Tell me how to how to get around town. I love it. That's so cool. Well, thanks again, man, and we'll check in with you somewhere down the road. Great. Thank you very much, Darren. All right, man. That's it. That's the end. That's a wrap. Read the shtick. That's a wrap for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends. If you'd like to reach out, you can use the studio line at 612-504-6500 or by email, the DK Project Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, there's always social media at the DK Project Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.